persecution phase is coming to an end and what's coming next is still to be determined. And to what degree does the church get comfortable? I mean, this is a relevant question today. Mm -hmm. To what degree does the church get comfortable with a political leader who wants to favor them or wants to persecute them? Or, you know, is that good? Is it better to be under the to be on the outs with the government or is it better to be in cahoots with the government? So these are very interesting issues that that really we're still, you know, affected by today. We'll talk about this and much more today. Welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit, and I'm an award-winning, multi-published author. And I started a Writer's Day podcast years ago because I love to talk about writing. And I'm a former writing teacher, so I have some lessons to teach. But I also love to talk with best-selling published authors to learn more about their writing processes and how they made it in this crazy publishing business today. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. I have big news. My book three in the Elves of Olgard series, Dragon Riders, released. And I just released a companion coloring book, my first coloring book. As an award-winning artist, I love drawing dragons and fairies and, and fantasy worlds. And so I thought, what greater way to share my love for fantasy worlds than to release a coloring book? And if you sign up for my newsletter today, over at artbyruth.com, you'll be placed on my mailing list, and my next newsletter goes out soon, and so you'll have a chance to win my new book, Dragon Riders, and my new coloring book for dragon lovers of all ages. So go to artbyruth.com, sign up for my newsletter, so that you'll be instantly put on my mailing list and you can join this book giveaway. And when you sign up for my newsletter, you'll also receive a free PDF copy of my book, Dragon Games, which is the book two in my Elves of Volgard series. So once you read that book and you receive the free copy of Dragon Riders, you'll be all up to date on my Elves of Volgard series. So, Go to artbyruth.com where you can learn more about me, my books, my art, and all things writing, and my podcast, A Writer's Day Podcast. He is a professor with a background in religious studies and historical theology. Brian Litfin knows how to bring biblical events to life with both accuracy and human emotion. And in his new book, Caesar's Lord, the final volume in his Constantine's Empire series, Brian Litfin reintroduces readers to his characters in this dramatic tale of struggle and redemption during the tumultuous times of the Caesars. So you know the drill. Grab your favorite beverage, a comfortable chair, kick back and relax as we listen to Brian Litvin talk about his new book, Caesar's Lord. Welcome to my podcast. It's good to have you here again with me. 
And I'm excited because we have Brian Litvin with us today, and he is going to talk to us about his new book, Caesar's Lord from the Constantine's Empire series. So welcome, Brian. Yeah, great to be here, Ruth. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Of course. And the cover of this book is amazing. I might have to put this uh, on the podcast episode description because it's beautiful. Yeah, they did a really good job with it. I think all three of them are great. Maybe this is the best one, but it's hard to say. But it's very epic and very, uh, it's got a little bit of a Middle Eastern touch to it. Sure. because it's and, and it just looks really good. Yeah, it looks kind of mysterious. I love it. So why don't you tell my listeners about yourself and then we'll talk about this book. Yeah, okay. Well, sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm a historian, theologian scholar, professor, I don't know, that's enough hats, I think. I just <laughs> them around on my head moment by moment. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I write this fiction. Uh, it's not a side thing because I love doing it and it's part of what I do. But um, I guess you'd say my day job is to be a professor and, a, and a, a church historian. And so what I'm trying to do with the fiction, not really trying to teach, it's, it's, it's supposed to be entertainment, it's supposed to be a great story. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am trying to... Um, bring together the expertise I have as a historian and then sort of package that or put that into a really epic, amazing saga and kind of bring both worlds together. That's great. Now, to have all those hats requires a lot of time spent in school. So when did you realize you maybe wanted to go in a different direction and do creative writing as opposed to you know research and academic writing? Yeah, I mean, I started out with the academic writing because, you know, that's kind of what you had to do for your job. And I like it. And it's I've done some nonfiction to try to introduce uh, fellow believers to the ancient church and to what the early Christians can teach us and what we can learn uh, from our forefathers and foremothers in the faith from the ancient times. And so I had written stuff like that. And, um, yeah, just kind of found within me uh, you know, and I'm sure your listeners understand this, where you sort of find like I, I'm I'm pregnant with ideas, you know. <laughs> I need to birth this thing that I find myself having within. And so yeah, you just kind of have to you have to push it out basically and then clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> what an image. <laughs> I know. So when you were young though, did you dabble with creative writing at all? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was that that kid who who did that. I mean, you know, not to be like a cliche from the 80s and Stranger Things or something, but I was like Dungeons and Dragons. And, mm-hmm. and that's a very creative, you know, world building kind mm-hmm. of uh, game that my generation played. And uh, yeah, storytelling and imagining and, and certainly reading. I mean, just, you know, whether it's, you know, um, simple books or even like literature, like um, King Arthur literature or mm-hmm. Ivanhoe and kind of the me- medieval and the epic and, and last of the Mohicans and just lots of, lots of stories that as a kid just sweep you up into a, a different place, a different time and take you away. Mm, that's true. And that starts to feed the mind with all those creative ideas, right? Yeah, for sure. Great. So you go to school, you become a scholar, an academician, a professor, all this stuff that requires a certain part of the brain. Did you find that maybe coming up with your own fictional stories in this genre kind of helped 
helped you a little bit, you know, relieve some of the stress of teaching and give you kind of a break from all that. I know you probably have to do research constantly, yeah. right? And be yeah. published in that area. Did that kind of give you like an outlet to to relieve your stress? You know, that's that's one way maybe to think about it, Ruth. And I, I think that's probably true that, you know, you you get swept up in your own story and you kind of love it and you kind of ride the wave like a surfer and you just kind of, it's exciting and thrilling in a way that research isn't. But, you know, on the other hand, the, the research part, it's not like, you know, maybe you remember like a term paper and it's it's onerous and it's a burden and you hate it, but you don't really get into the, what I do if you don't actually like the stuff that you're researching. Mm, that's so, true. Yeah, yeah. So that's not like it's a, you know, a burden that you have to escape from. Really, it feels more like um, like uh, deploying, if you will, the the knowledge and the stuff that you love in a research and teaching and nonfiction way and kind of like redeploying it into a different vehicle. So it's not necessarily escape. It's just another it's another way to speak about what you're already curious about, what you already love, what you already want to share. And, and really the audience for my nonfiction or certainly my students mm -hmm. who have to be there, you know, yeah. but, you know, it's a whole different audience that you can reach when you publish fiction. So it's a way of sharing what you love with a fiction reading audience, which is different than a nonfiction audience. I think. That's true. Very true. And I have often found that some of my most favorite history teachers were really good at telling stories. So did you find that it became easy for you to take these historical characters and tell a story about them in such a way that made your audience, your students, you know, kind of have to listen and want to find out what happens next? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a very astute observation, I think. Um, and yeah, yeah, you get used to being a, a storyteller and, and the kind of lecturer I was or, or am has typically been sort of, you know, strolling the stage or sort of strolling mm -hmm. the room, explaining and telling and taking the students back into the times of the days of yore. And so if you already wired that way, it's not a huge stretch to say, well, let's Let's imagine a situation and, and kind of tell it more specifically and fill in the details. And so, yeah, for me, it it's not like right brain, left brain or switch off one part of me and become this sort of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, but really just kind of like already knowledgeable, I guess, about the, the history and love it and enthusiastic and creative. And it it's more integrated maybe than than one might think doing doing fiction, I think. Mm, sounds fascinating. And, and like I said, I think that's what helps in a history class is when your teacher or professor can make it come alive. You know, you, you read it on, on the page, but if you have a lecturer who's really good at making those characters almost appear right in front of you, that's that's powerful. Well, and I, I think, um, you know, I, I feel sorry for people that have to teach something other than history. <laughs> you know, if they're teaching, you know, insects or biology or botany or something like that <laughs> economics you know like where's the story but if you're teaching about let me tell you what emperor constantine did on one crazy day in the ancient world you know suddenly you're into story and so maybe that maybe literature professors have that advantage too but i, I would not want to have to teach economics you know how, how do you tell the story but history professors have the privilege of just unfolding the crazy inspiring degrading deeds of the people who've gone before <laughs> and hopefully 
we learn from that, right? We learn from history yeah. and don't repeat their mistakes. <laughs> what they say, but I think we do it a lot. Yeah. So now are a writer of fiction in this historical moment and so what made you want to tackle the Roman Empire wow setting your story during this the fourth century that that's amazing what made you want to try that yeah I mean some earlier fiction I did was a little more uh, like dystopian or mm. uh, sort of future future slash medieval if that makes sense so it was it wasn't um, fantasy but it um, it was not what this is, which is historical fiction. So, so historical fiction has its own, I guess you'd say, limitations because, you, you know, as a historian, you, you don't want to make stuff up. You don't, you, you want to think, well, my colleagues or my professional friends would look at this and say, yeah, that's plausible, or yeah, that's what he would have said, or that fits in the framework of what really happened. And so, you know, historical fiction gives you that that limitation, but at the same time, there's a lot of freedom. And with the Roman Empire, you know, with biblical fiction, that's kind of been done. There's a lot of people that have written Roman Empire, first century, apostles, time of Jesus or time of the book of Acts. And this is not that because you're in the fourth century instead of the first century. So you're 300 something years later, but it's the time of Emperor Constantine. And I don't think too many uh, historical fiction books have been set in that time, but mm. it's an utterly pivotal moment of, of church history. And I could explain explain why, but certainly a lot is going on in the first couple of decades of the fourth century that will affect Christianity forever after. Mm, that's true. We were blessed to go to Rome and see the arch that they built for the emperor. Yeah. And you, you get the sense of... Um, the influence that he had at that yeah. time where everything could have crumbled, but I think the Lord used him in a mighty way. And what, what's the um, attraction that made you want to do it under his government that time period? Well, you're in this, this uh, like um, change of change of Christian experience mm -hmm. time. So, so you're in this moment where persecution, which we typically think of, Oh, the ancient church, throw them to the lions. You know, they got killed, they were martyrs, they were persecuted, and that did happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but Constantine comes to power and converts, mm -hmm. you know, his conversion, you know, real or not, or gradually kind of becomes more real uh, as he understands more. It, he changes that scenario. And so you're in this moment where the persecution phase is coming to an end, and what's coming next is still to be determined. And to what degree does the church get comfortable? I mean, this is a relevant question today. Mm -hmm. To what degree does the church get comfortable with a political leader who wants to favor them or wants to persecute them? Or, you know, is that good? Is it better to be under the, to be on the outs with the government? Or is it better to be in cahoots with the government? So these are very interesting issues that played out in the fourth century that really were still, you know, affected by today. Isn't that the truth? That's powerful. Now let's transition to Caesar's Lord. Tell us about this, uh, the Constantine series and this amazing book. Yeah, thanks. So, so the um, 
Constantine the Emperor is is in it. He's not really the main protagonist. So what I, the real story is uh, the story of Rex and Flavia, and um, so the hero Rex is a he's like a barbarian, I guess you'd say. He's Germanic, and in the beginning, in the in the first book, he kind of comes into the Roman Empire unaware of what Christianity is all about. But as he comes in through the Roman army and he's kind of sent on a mission to Rome, he meets the heroine, Flavia, who is um, a, a believer. She's an ancient church uh, Christian and, and the daughter of a senator, so aristocratic. So together she kind of introduces him and he becomes aware of the Christian faith and how it differs from the pagan gods that he worshipped. And, um, you know, so then their story, I don't want to give too much away, but as they come to faith, I won't. I mean, that's obvious. They, he comes to faith in Christ. And so together they live out all of the pivotal things that are happening in church history. So, for example, in Caesar's Lord, I mean, a couple of the really amazing things that happen is that the characters go to the Council of Nicaea, which is where we get the Nicene Creed. It's where we get the doctrine of the Trinity formally expressed anyway. Uh, it's in the Bible, but it's you know formally expressed at Nicaea. So the characters are part of that. Or they're part of another thing that happens is um, in Jerusalem, they have the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where they say the tomb of Christ is. And I think a good good case can be made that that is the place where Jesus's empty tomb is. And so the characters are part of the uh, let's dig under the ground and find underneath a pagan temple what was actually there originally mm. and come to find out it's the tomb of Christ that, that today is in a church and you can go visit in Jerusalem. So, you know, just these really cool parts of church history through the eyes of these two characters and their drama and their adventures, really, it's just a big adventure novel. They they see all the pivotal things that are happening in church history. And so yeah, you actually end up learning a lot about church history, but you don't really know you're learning because you're having fun along the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. So it's got that adventure type of oh, feel to oh, yeah. it. It's oh, an adventure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I want your readers to understand that. Like, it's not like nerdy professor writes dry, you know, teaching people, <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. not trying to secretly teach, you know, I'm trying to secretly entertain, not secretly. I'm just trying to entertain with like sure. a rollicking big adventure. But if you learn something along the way, that's what good historical fiction does. There you go. Yeah. But Rex and Flavia are going through some personal things, too, though. You make them actual, you know, like flesh and blood people dealing with issues. A new believer coming together with a believer. Um, what What are some of the personal things that they're struggling with? Well, and again, so how much do you give away that, that, <laughs> that like unbeliever, believer, you know, sort of unequally yoked kind of theme? is more of a theme that they see in the early first book uh, as he comes to faith and as their relationship becomes, you know, romantic and it, it leads to marriage. I mean, I'll just give it away, I guess, this plot spoiler. So they're by, in this book, they're married. And uh, so there are issues of her desire for children and, and, and she's tempted to appeal to pagan fertility uh, goddess instead of, the one true God, which would be a big blasphemy for an ancient Christian. So, so Flavia has her own, like, can I trust God with this painful part of my life? Mm. And, and Rex goes through temptations as well. And, and they're separated for a time and then they come back together and then together they go to the council of Nicaea and they go to Jerusalem and they uncover the, the relics of the 
of the you know the empty tomb and relics of mem memorable parts of the life of Christ. So um, yeah, it's 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 got it all. It's got theology. It's got adventure. It's got romance. It's got there you danger. Go. I tried to just throw everything in, but the that's what started. readers want, though. <laughs> they want to be taken on a journey with yeah. uh, characters that they truly fall in love with. So that's awesome. That's yeah. what we're supposed to do. Great. Yeah. So fun. And this comes out in November, correct? Yeah, I think November twenty twenty two release date. Okay. 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 So you taught you have a couple of characters in there who are dealing with some real life issues. What are your hopes for the readers? when they read Caesar's Lord, what do you want them to gain after reading this story? Well, I do want them to be entertained. So it, it's not going to work if it doesn't really just sweep you up into a saga. And, and when I say entertained, I think I mean something more exciting than just kind of like a, a light, um, light entertainment. Like I want them to be brought into a different world, a different story. I want them to think they're going to have to, you know, go to bed and they can't because they have to turn the page to the next chapter. <laughs> I just want to be in it to forget your present world and go into the story world. So, I mean, that's a major goal for me. Um, I want them to, you know, and again, it's not trying to teach, but to, to sort of understand and to, to live in the world of the ancient church and, and to see that their Christianity might have taken different forms or had different expressions uh, or had things that we take for granted that they're still figuring out maybe for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so we stand on their shoulders, the things that we say are fixed points like the doctrine of the Trinity were for them, something that had to be worked out against, you know, what is right? What is biblical? What, what different ways do we talk about this mystery and how can we hand a creed down to the next generation, to all future generations? So there is that sense of, I want the reader to have a sense of connectivity that their Christian faith, if they're a believing person, uh, is is tied to the little C church Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, the universal church that has always been and the body of Christ through the ages. And so, yeah, to kind of have that sense of connectivity. And so those would be a couple of goals for sure. Mm, that's great. And it's important for us to remember to put scripture, the New Testament scriptures in proper historical context. I right. think that's when it really starts to come alive for me when I yeah. remember what the early church went through. And you're right. This is such a pivotal moment when mm -hmm. scriptures what, were coming together for them. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Canon of scripture, mm -hmm. what books are in, what books are out, what we take for granted, mm -hmm. you know, the 26 books or whatever. They, they had to say, should we include this? Should we not include this? And so, some of the three novels are about that issue, too. Oh, that's neat. And in the midst of that, you gave us people who have to deal with trusting in a God they've never seen. Mm -hmm. And that's something we Christians today still have to. We have to trust in God. <laughs> Take it by faith, for sure. So, as you've learned, writing isn't easy. Academic writing and fiction writing is work. What, what advice would you have if you stood before a brand new writer who might be struggling with this writing profession or this writing world? What advice would you give them to someone who's just starting out? Yeah. 
Well, and, and I would like to speak kind of personally in that way and just encourage your listeners to, to stick with it. I mean, the, nothing that is good uh, doesn't have struggle. So even those of us that have been published or people that are trying to get published, it doesn't just fall into your lap. You don't just you know, one day wake up and there's 20 publishing houses begging you. I mean, maybe there's a few stars that are like that, you know, but Max Lucado or whatever, but we, we, we're normally not like that. And so I would tell your, your beginner, hey, stick with it, you know, like press through and um, just put your loaves and fishes out there for the Lord to multiply. You don't have to be the latest and greatest, but you, you can serve him. Enjoy it. You know, if it's, if it's something that you love, do it. Do it for your sense of completion, your sense of joy. Do a little at a time. And then, you know, it's like climbing a mountain. It's just one step at a time. Halfway up, you're like, wow, I've really come somewhere. So it's a journey. And uh, kind of kind of live it out and, and let it come to you. Wow. Well said. Thank you so much, Brian Litfin. I really appreciate you coming on my podcast today and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with my listeners. Well, it's an honor, and I, I feel blessed that you would uh, ask me to, to be on and to contribute. So thank you for having me. It, it truly is a privilege. Of course. And those of you listening, you can find more information and connect with Brian at brianlitfin.com. And I'll put that website on the podcast description for you to click yeah, on and learn more about his books. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Wow, wasn't that great listening to Brian talk about his new book, Caesar's Lord, his background in religious studies, and how being a professor influenced his desire to write about ancient Rome. I'm glad you were able to join us today, and I hope that you were inspired to keep going on your writing journey, because everybody's writing journey is unique. Your story is unique. And someone out there needs to read your story. So keep going, writing every day, always moving forward on this writing journey one step at a time. And until next time, God bless.